we got a lot of work to do, but before we jump into the Word of God, um, I, I wanted to, to kind of do some housework, if we will. Uh, there, there are some things that have been, at least one thing that has been on my mind. I, all week I've been burdened by the situation in Libya, uh, and I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with this situation. Some of you are nodding your heads, so you probably are. Um, you know, it's easy for us to sit here in our comfortable houses and see the situation, read it on, the, on newspapers or watch it on the news or through social media. Uh, but it's another thing to join into what, what does it look like to grieve uh, with that situation. Please make no mistake about it. The situation of selling uh, slaves, selling people made in the image of God, like, like we're not talking like you know in Genesis 1 where it says when God said let us go down and, and make man in our image it doesn't say make Christians in our image it says make man all men whether you believe in Jesus or not you are made in the image of God we should not treat people as property like the chairs you were sitting on or the devices you have in your hand and the pocketbooks you brought in that's your possession we people aren't that sell them for $400 it's ridiculous there's no amount you can sell them for that would be okay but the point I'm making is, you know, we cannot be silent on these situations. We can't be disconnected. And uh, there, there's not, unless you're a diplomat or you, you work for the government in some way, you can get over there and get on ground and do some stuff that makes real impact. The, the little you can do is pray. Pray for that situation. Pray for the UN. Pray for the Libyan government. Uh, but also, you know, how what would it look like for you to give towards anti-slavery organizations that fight against what uh, the things that we are seeing happening in Libya? So please, let's not be disconnected from that. This is, I guess, a little personal for me as an African-American uh, pastor. You know, sometimes we can look at slavery here as though it happened like so long ago. You know, we're talking less than 150 years ago. Uh, my ancestors were enslaved, bought as property. And, you know, oftentimes we can say, well, that's the church. I mean, the world, that's not the church. And the reality is uh, the church wasn't only silent on slavery. The church participated in slavery. There are places you can read about that the evangelical church has, uh, and, and, and rightfully so, repented of. The evangelical church has uh, used uh, slavery as part of uh, retirement packages for pastors. We'll gift you with a slave. Like, come on, y'all. We have to be uh, mindful of, of the situation that is going on around the world, and we have to pray for it. Amen? So join in, man. I, I don't know what part you can play in that, but if nothing else, uh, you should commit it to daily prayer. You're not serious about it unless you're praying about it. So let's make sure we are, uh, we're, we're lifting that up in prayer. All right. Uh, the second thing I, I just quickly want to bring to you is our annual solemn assembly is coming up. Those that have been a part of our church for any amount of time, for the first week of the year, the first full week of the year, we do what you call solemn assembly, uh, which is our week of consecration, fasting, and praying. We take that week and we give it to the Lord and we legitimately shut down from everything try to shut down from uh, food and so we'll give out more details on what that looks like. Uh, we try to shut down from social media and whatever other habits you have. I shut down from coffee. Y'all know that's a big deal for me. Uh, but I shut down for the week because I, I really want to focus in on the Lord. And we get that straight from Joel chapter 1 verse 14 where it says call the elders together. Call the congregation together to the house of the Lord. And then it says and cry out to the Lord. So we want to uh, commit that week to the Lord, and we want to spend that time crying out to the Lord. So again, more details will come. There will be scriptures and uh, ways you can connect with other believers throughout the first full week. So it'll be January 1st to January 5th. We will end that Friday night. All right? 
And that's for you. You don't have to be a member here. If you're a frequent visitor, you can be a part of that. All right, why don't you grab your Bibles and meet me in Matthew chapter 1. I'm excited we are kicking up our kicking off our Advent series. Advent, um, we'll, we'll spend the next four weeks really making a case, laying out uh, a case for why Jesus had to come. Uh, sometimes with the Christmas season, we can get distracted by Santa Claus and eggnog and mistletoes and Christmas music and gifts and presents. And for somehow we've taken the birth of Jesus Christ and made it about us. When the reality is the birth of Jesus Christ is about Jesus Christ. And we want to focus uh, for the next four weeks leading up to Christmas. We want to focus on what that means for us. That cute little baby in the manger goes 33 years later and dies for your sin. We need to talk about how that impacts us and why we should take that serious, but also live our lives for him. So if you guys would be patient with me, even today, I, I really want to do a lot more foundational work, lay a foundation. Uh, I don't want to come across as the Grinch that stole Christmas. I am in the Christmas spirit. Uh, we haven't got a tree yet, but we're hoping to do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm all in. So I'm not saying don't celebrate Christmas with your family and with your friends and cookies and all that stuff. What I am saying is don't let that be priority over Jesus. Amen. Why don't you pick me up in verse 18? Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, let me say that again, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her, in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Please underline this phrase. For he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now, he's about to, Matthew's about to quote Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You should write that somewhere in your Bible. Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not, circle this word, until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. I want to spend our few moments together preaching from the topic entitled, Interrupted by a King. Let us pray. Father, this morning, every morning, every Sunday morning, we gather ourselves around your word and we do so uh, by breathing a word of prayer. And we do that because we realize that we are dependent on you. Uh, we need you to, 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 to speak to us. We need you in order to hear your word. And so, Father, I pray that this morning would be no different. Second by second and moment by moment, our desperate need of you is there. And I pray that you would speak to us today. Show us Jesus Christ in a clear, in a fresh way. Would you hold me back from adding anything to the text? Would you hold me back from preaching my opinion? Would you hold me back and shut my mouth from preaching myself? But Father, let me preach only what your word says about the testimony of Jesus Christ. May the gospel be clear today. May it penetrate the hearts of your believers and those that don't know you. Might it save them today? It's in your son's name and his, his name alone that we come before you. Let everybody say amen. Interrupted by a king. It was the 2009 VMAs where Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift won uh, Music Video of the Year. 
And as she was going to the stage to take her, and many of you already know this story, as she going to the stage to take her, uh, her, her, uh, her award and give her acceptance speech, she's interrupted, and she's interrupted by Kanye West, and he jumps on the stage and he says his famous line, yo, yo, Taylor, you know, great job, I'm gonna let you finish, but Beyonce had the best video of the year because she beat Beyonce's video out, single ladies. Now, I don't know how you feel about that. Maybe you were upset with, uh, with Kanye West. Maybe you thought it was comical and funny, and maybe you just were like, well, that's Kanye West. Uh, nevertheless, all of us in this room are well acquainted with what it feels like to be interrupted. And I don't know, maybe you were interrupted in a conversation that you were having that you were trying to convey some deep thought, and you got interrupted from that, or maybe it's a project that you started working on that sits at home on your kitchen table unfinished. Maybe it is something as sim simple as a career goal that never, you never made it to, or maybe it's a degree that you're working on that you got interrupted and detoured from actually working on that degree. Whatever it is, everybody in this room knows that uncomfortable feeling of being interrupted. And although I laid out all of the negative aspects of interruptions, there are positive interruptions in our lives as well. And in the life of Joseph this morning, we get to see what it looks like for the life of Joseph to be interrupted, not just the normal interruption, though, an interruption from a king that is being born. One of the things I love most about Matthew's account of this story and all of the accounts of the Gospels really give us a story of the birth of Jesus Christ and the immaculate conception of Jesus Christ. One of the things I love most about Matthew's account is Matthew zooms us in on the character and the person of Joseph. Joseph just does not get a lot of press. A lot of times, Joseph seems like the guy that's in the background and Mary is up front. Rightfully so, Mary should be up front, but it you know, this morning we get led in on the, the, the godliness and the character of Joseph as well. And certainly, he certainly was a, a godly man. This passage can be broken down into three sections. You can break this passage down into an awkward situation. That's the first couple of verses. In the middle part of that passage, uh, of uh, uh, verses 18 to 25, you can also break it down to an angelic visitation. And then finally, he ends our time by talking about the incarnation. I've talked about the incarnation a few times already. I just mentioned it a few times. So it's important for me to at least unpack what the incarnation is. The incarnation is a theological term that indicates that Jesus Christ, uh, that was fully God, existed before the foundation of the world, decided that he would come down and incarnate, put on flesh to dwell amongst us. And we get that from John chapter 1. Do not think that we are reading Matthew and this is the, the first time we get introduced to Jesus. A lot of times people think that Jesus was uh, stepped on the scene in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when in reality he was here before the foundations of the world. Colossians chapter 1 says that all things were created by him. Without him, nothing was made. So in other words, Jesus didn't want, he, like he wasn't created, he created. Jesus Christ, the baby in the manger, is the one that not only made all of life and made you, but actually sustains all of life. That same Colossians says, in him, Jesus, all things hold together, not held together, but currently right now, Jesus is holding things down. And so in, in other words, it's very important that we do not read this situation that is in front of us and say, man, you know what? Jesus just got born. He is the first. No, Jesus has been here, and Jesus will affirm that through his ministry. 
but nevertheless, there are three impactful themes in this passage, and it would behoove us to go through each one of us first, or each one of them. First, the awkward situation. Look back with me at verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This word betrothed, I, 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 man, it's been my experience that most people don't understand an ancient betrothal. We do not understand what it means that, that Mary and Joseph were engaged but not married. And a lot of times we'll read into the text what our current culture says about engagement. But engagement in ancient times and engagement now was completely different. In other words, you can be engaged to a female or, or, or a male right now. You can be engaged and literally break off the engagement with no legal ramifications. But in the text, you notice as he's about to, he's not fully married to Mary yet. And as he's about to break it off, the Bible says he's going to divorce her quietly. So in other words, in order to break off an engagement in ancient times, you legitimately had to go through divorce. And so this was a firm commitment, but they were not married. It is important that we do not run past this because what we'll do is we'll say that they had a firm commitment to where they were, where they were married. And if we say that they were married, then there's a possibility that Joseph would be Jesus' daddy. But in our text this morning, it tells us, look at what it says in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his, Mary, when his mother Mary, who had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, that is a nice way of saying they did not benefit from the fruitfulness of marriage. Let me get a little bit more explicit. They did not have sex. That's what the text is basically saying to us this morning. Why is that important? Now, here's the, here, here's the reality. Even though the commitment was firm, Joseph knew that he was not having sex with Mary, his future wife, but clearly, Joseph hasn't had an, an, an angel come to him yet. So clearly, Mary was dropping it like it's hot somewhere. Clearly, she was. Like, put yourself, what we do is reread texts like this with the end in mind. You know the story, but act like you don't know the story. And when you act like you don't know the story, putting yourself in verse 18 makes you feel the tension of verse 18. In other words, in other words it makes you feel like, you know what? Mary is doing something. Yeah, of course she is. How in the world do you explain that this, she gets pregnant? How does that happen? That has never happened before. How does that happen? But look at what the text says. It says, before they came together, she was found to be with child. If we stop there, we have a problem. But it goes on to say, with child, from the Holy Spirit. In other words, yes, Mary is a virgin and she has not had sex but what we get let in on is that she is pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Why do you need to care that Mary is a virgin? Here's why. Because if Jesus isn't conceived by the Holy Spirit, that means he's conceived by man. Hear me. If Jesus is conceived by man, he has what you call inherited sin. What do I mean by that? Every one of us in this room, just a quick theological check, Everybody in this room is a sinner, and you're not a sinner because you've sinned. You're a sinner because it was passed down from your father and passed down from his father and passed down from his father, going all the way back to the original sin of Adam. Let me put some Bible right here. When David is walking on his roof and he sees Bathsheba bathing, he calls her over to the palace and ends up having sex with Bathsheba, and, 
and she's married to Uriah. He sends for Uriah. This whole story plays out, and he sends Uriah back on the front line. He dies. Bathsheba gets pregnant, and, and David's boy comes to him and calls him out on it. And when he calls him out, we get Psalm 51. What happens in Psalm 51? David repents. And when David repents, he shows us inherited sin. How do I know that? Because here's what David said when he repents. He says in Psalm 51, verse number 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This does not mean that David, David's mother and father was in some sinful relationship. This means that David has identified the moment he was born, he was a sinner. This means David was a sinner because his father Jesse was a sinner. And his father, Jesse, was a sinner because his father, Obed, was a sinner. And Obed was a sinner because his father, Boaz, was a sinner. And you can trace that thing all the way back to the original sin with Adam. What you get is inherited sin. And all of us in this room have that inherited sin. And the best proof of inherited sin is those of you who are parents, when you see your cute little child performing the same sin that you performed. That's how you know you have inherited, you have passed down your personal dysfunction. In 2002, at the Metropolitan Museum of Art here in New York City, uh, there, there was a, a statue, uh, a marble statue of Adam. And it was from the 15th century. It was an antique, man. It was, I mean, it was valuable. And one day, this is a true story, in 2002, the statue just happened to fall and broke into thousands of pieces. And when it fell, the museum, of course, was looking at video footage and trying to see did somebody knock it down, or somebody leaning on it. They found that it fell with nobody in the room. And the reason it fell is because the platform in which the statue stood on wasn't a stable platform. Now, why am I bringing that up? I think this is so prophetic. Just like that statue is broken, all of us in this room are broken because of Adam. Yes, the statue. We are broken because of Adam. Everybody in this room, you are shattered in thousands of pieces. But here's what I know as well. Just like that statue was valuable, you are valuable. Just like that statue was broken, you are broken. But here's also what I know. That statue has been put back together. It has been restored. What am I saying? Just as that thing was valuable, broken, and restored, you are valuable, you are broken, and you will be restored. And the restoration that you will get it's because of the cute baby in the manger. That's the beauty in Christmas. And so what we get in our text is inherited sin is passed down. Jesus is able to skip past inherited sin because Joseph's not his father. If Joseph went on the TV show Maury right now, they would say you are not the father. And can I tell you why that's good news? Because if Joseph is the father, Jesus is born with sin. If Jesus is born with sin, he can't die for your sin. He got to die for his own sin. But Jesus is able to die for your sin because he's conceived by the Holy Spirit. Here's what G.K. Chesterton said. He said it well. He said, the man who denies inherited sin believes in the immaculate conception of everybody. If you walk around and say, I'm not a sinner, what you're saying is, I don't have inherited sin passed down from my father. You must have been conceived in your mother's womb by the Holy Spirit. I think we all in here, whether you have a, a father that was a part of your life or not, all of us in this room have a mother and a father. Everybody. So if that is the case, everybody in this room is, is fallen. Everybody. Except Jesus, because Joseph's not his father. How else do I know Joseph is not his father? If you look back a couple of verses, 
at verse 16, it goes through the whole genealogy of Jesus. And if you get to verse 16, look at what it says. Every time it talks about someone else, it says the father of so-and-so, the father of so-and-so. Look at what it says to Joseph, verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. He doesn't even get let on as the biological father of Jesus. What is he? The, the husband of Mary. Why is this important? Why am I excited about this? Because Jesus is able to be a sufficient sacrifice because he's spotless. Please note that Jesus' holiness doesn't demand that the sacrifice before him have spots and wrinkles. The sacrifice before him has to be spotless, which is why Jesus has to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Here's more Bible on that. Romans chapter 5, verse number 12 says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, talking about Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Please know that everybody in this room is a sinner. Like every week you come and I say this to you, and it's important that you hear this, Jesus is not a sinner. In fact, the Bible goes on to say he doesn't, have, he doesn't even have deceit in his mouth. He is able to be sinless, and because he is sinless, he is a perfect sacrifice. What am I saying? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Either way, Joseph is put in an awkward situation here. Like Joseph doesn't know all of that theological stuff we just said. Joseph don't know any of that. What he knows is the woman he's engaged to that he's supposed to be married to in about a year, that woman is pregnant. That's all he knows up until this point, and that is a problem for him. Can you imagine Joseph trying to explain that to his, to his boys? Like, man, I, I know my fiance, you know, Mary, I know she's pregnant, uh, but she's, she has this whole God thing going on. She's pregnant by God. Like, they would think he's smoking something. They would think something's wrong with him. But it is true, and he doesn't know it yet. So what does Joseph do? Right? Joseph hears that Mary is pregnant. He knows that he has not, he has not known his wife. And so, therefore, what does he do? Please note the godly character of Joseph in verse 19. Verse 19, and her husband, Joseph, being a man, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, unfortunately, we run to the fact that he was going to divorce her. And we run past the fact that Matthew just called Joseph a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. That is so important for us because, again, Mary gets all the press in the Christmas story. And we don't give just like there are songs surrounded around Mary's words. If you look at Mary's words in Luke chapter uh, one, verse 46, like look at her words in there. There are songs built around it. Can you all name a song that's built on Joseph's words? No, none of us can, because we don't give Joseph the credit that Joseph deserves. And please, again, notice we're in verse 19 and the angel still hasn't told him what's going on. The angel hasn't told him what's going on, yet in his own godly character, he decided not to put her to shame. And please know that he absolutely could have been justified doing it. He could have had her stoned to death for her infidelity and been justified in doing it. But he doesn't do that. The Bible says because he's a just man and he was unwilling to put her to shame, which, by the way, all of you husbands in here, this is a side note for us. All of us husbands in here, we need to be patient with our wives. And wives, the same thing for you husbands. I mean, for you wives as well. You need to be patient with your husband. Notice in our text, again, he doesn't have any angelic visitation. 
all we get right now in verse 18 and verse 19 is that he's a godly dude. Now, you might be running to the fact, okay, he's godly, but he, he does want to divorce her. And I agree with you. That is not the right response. You know how I know that's not the right response? Because when the angel does come, the angel's going to check him. And so he says, really what he's doing is affirming the reality of how important marriage is. Look at verse, uh, verse number, let me see, verse number 20. Let me read 19 into 20. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, watch what the angel says. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sin. We just talked about the awkward situation. Now in verses 20 to 21, we get to see what the angel does. And when the angel comes, we get five important details. Five, if you're taking notes, please write all five of these details down. They are found right out of the words of the angel. The first when it's, it's so simple. The first is that God has a will for Mary and Joseph to get married. In other words, he, God is affirming the fact that marriage is a good thing. Like, don't run past the fact Joseph wasn't needed in order for Jesus to be brought into the world. Like, he could have said, go ahead and divorce her. I still got a room. I don't need you, bro. The Holy Spirit could have did that. But the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit says, yes, I need her womb, but I, I affirm that you should get married. And for, again, for all of you singles in here that are dating or seriously dating and want to move towards marriage, please know that the Holy Spirit does have something to say about marriage. Like, you should be consulting. Like, don't get married because he's cute. He got nice abs. You know, she's got nice Facebook posts, so I like her posts, so we should get married. No, you get married when you consult the Holy Spirit. There's a few times in life that, um, that, that you know, there, there's no gray area. Now, a few times. Most of the decisions I make is a, a, a hint of risk. Most of the decisions I make is a step of faith. I don't fully know the outcome. But there are some decisions that I make that I know it's the Lord. Planting this church was one of them. I was on my way down to Alpharetta, Georgia, working in corporate America, doing well. And my family and I was going to relocate down there. I was not thinking about planting a church. But when the Lord called me, when I tell you I'm confident in the calling, I was very clear with that. Here's the second, second in my life, the second time that I felt absolutely confident was when the Lord said, Mary Ty. I wasn't confused. I wasn't like Ty or this one. Like it was none of that for me. It was very clear. Why? Because I consulted the Holy Spirit. And if you're in this room, the Holy Spirit has something to say about marriage. In a, in a, in a place where, in a culture where we do not honor marriage, the Holy Spirit honors marriage. He says, marry her. Do not divorce her. We have a 50% divorce rate here in the USA. Like, please, 50%. We read that and like, uh, one in every two marriages don't make it. I, I said this at Timmy and Io's wedding, but think about this. If you take that stat and apply it to anything else, you would, like if you took that stat and applied it to flying and said, one out of every two planes crashes, would you fly? But we expect people to get married, and half of the marriages are failing. The Holy Spirit affirms marriage this morning. He says, yeah, take Mary. Do not, I know you're contemplating this, and as you're considering these things of divorcing her, no. 
The first thing he says is, he doesn't say, the, he, the first thing he doesn't say is, the baby is conceived by me. He says, no, do not divorce her. Do not do it even quietly. What's the second thing that we get let in on? That Mary's pregnancy, and we just talked about this one, is supernatural and it's miraculous. We already talked about how the baby in the womb is conceived by the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you why else that's important. That's also important because Joseph needed to go into the marriage with confidence that his wife was faithful. And so the Holy Spirit comes in, like there was no DNA, like there was no way for him to know for sure. But what we get is the Holy Spirit saying, listen, I want to affirm the godliness of Mary. She did not step out on you. The Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in her womb. What's the third thing we get from the angelic visit? The third thing we get, I love this one, it's so simple. The Holy Spirit announces the sex of the baby. Like, you know, now we go down to the, you know, we go and we find out what the baby is. They do an ultrasound. The Holy Spirit acts as a nurse in the text. And he says, you know, and we, we do it with creative ways now. You know, we announce the gender of a baby. I don't know if y'all have seen those videos where they take the balloons and you pop the balloon and blue powder comes out. It's like, oh, it's a boy. Or, you know, pink powder or the cake you cut open and inside it's, you know, pink or it's blue. I saw one where a dude was dribbling on a basketball court, and he goes and he dunks a basketball, and when he dunks it, all this blue powder goes out, and everybody goes crazy. The Holy Spirit's like, I ain't doing all that. It's a boy. <laughs> like, it's that simple. So, and you know why else that's important? Because I was talking to some of the young people in our church here, and they were telling me how there's this thing where a lot of people are saying, like, God is a girl. You know, you, you want to affirm uh, ladiness and, and our womanhood, and so God is a girl. God is, and, you know, I'm confused when I hear that because Jesus is the image, according to Colossians 1.15, he's the image of the invisible God. Meaning, you want to know what God the Father is like? We look at Jesus. And the Bible tells us the, the, the baby that's in that womb is a boy. And that is very important for us. The fourth thing, we're getting there, the fourth thing that the Holy Spirit tells them is what to name the baby. Here's another area we get creative in. The Holy Spirit's like, don't, don't get creative with the names. Jesus is his name. It's that simple. What's the fifth thing? And the fifth thing is important, and I ask you to underline it. I ask you to underline it because it is very important, and we miss this in the Christmas story. Verse number 21, she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Here it is. For he will save his people from their sin. That cute baby in a manger 33 years from now will die on a bloody cross for your sin. Like, consider that. This is the gospel within the Advent sermon series. This is the gospel that the baby in the manger. Here's what else is important. Joseph not being the father, that's, I mean, that's absolutely needed. But Joseph would have looked at this and said, that baby is going to save me from my sin. Let me go deeper. Mary, the one that carried Jesus, needed the one that's in her womb to save her from her sin. Remember that inherited sin that we just talked about? That inherited sin poses a problem for you and God. Like if you have sin and God, according to uh, uh, 1 Timothy, I think it's 1 Timothy 2 or 2 Timothy 2, if he dwells in unapproachable light, how in the world can sinful people stand before that holy God? Like it, it, it doesn't take, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that because we are all sinful in this room, there is, in, there is no way we can stand before the Lord. But here's how we can, that baby in a manger. That baby in a manger is our solution to our inherited sin problem. And he's the solution because when he dies, he does not, like Jesus wasn't born to die. 
Jesus was born to live. He had to live 33 years of perfection so that when he went to the cross, he didn't just take your sin. He had something to give you. And what does he give you? 33 years of perfection. He had to be 100% sinless so that when he went to a cross, we can stand before God and hear me, hear words like holy. You, holy, just. You will hear words, if you've trusted in Jesus, like spotless. And you know you're not spotless. But you'll hear the words like spotless because Jesus made a crazy trade, gave you his, his righteousness, and he took on your sin. And when he took your sin, not just your, your sin that you committed in the past, but your present sin, your future, the, the sins that you haven't even committed yet, the baby in the manger died for that sin. So the Bible tells us this morning, it says, he will save your people from their sins. All of you, those that have trusted in Jesus, all of us get saved from our sins. Oh, what a savior that is in Mary's womb. Let us rejoice at the fact that Mary is carrying our savior, our Lord, our King. So we talked about the awkward um, situation that Joseph was in. Now we had an angelic visitation, and so he, he should be confident now. The angel came and told him, this is what's really going on. She did not step out on you. I conceived that baby. He's going to save your people from their sins. It's a boy. Name him Jesus. Like He goes through all. He gives them great detail. Look at verse 22, because there's something else very important about that child in, in, in the baby, the baby in the manger. Look at verse 22. And all this took place. Note this word, to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Now, he quotes Isaiah 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The baby that's in the manger is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. He fulfills everything that the prophets talked about in the Old Testament. Here's what's crazy. Jesus could have grown up, he could have read the prophets and then reacted. He, if he wasn't the Messiah, he could have acted like he was the Messiah. He could, like Zechariah 9, 9, where the Bible says, behold, your king comes mounted on a donkey. He could have rented a donkey or bought a donkey, got on a donkey, round, rode down in the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem and fulfilled that scripture. But here's what I know. You can't fake your own birth. Jesus is fulfilling scripture before he's able to crawl. He's fulfilling scripture before he's able to talk. Jesus is fulfilling scripture and before he's able to like, perform any miracles. That baby in a manger is the, the long-awaited Messiah that the Old Testament was pointing to. Jesus steps on the scene and he fulfills Old Testament prophecy. That's important for us. And Jesus even says that at the end of his life, uh, after he died and before he resurrected, or after he resurrected, before he ascended into heaven, even Jesus said it. He said, the old, the, all of the prophets spoke about me. Remember, he said it to, the, to, the, to, the, to the, uh, the Pharisees as well. He said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you find life. But these are the scriptures that testify about me. The Old Testament points us toward the baby in the manger. And the baby in the manger points us to the cross where Jesus dies for our sins. Y'all got to stick with me. We got to lay this foundation. The baby in the manger is absolutely the one that the Old Testament prophesied about. And not only is the Old Testament, not only is he the fulfillment of the Old Testament, but please don't miss this. He's 100% God. Look back at the text. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, note this name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. We already talked about what incarnation means, but it's important that we understand what the hypostatic union means. That's not no big theological deep word. That simply means that God, Jesus Christ, was 100% man, but he also was 100% God. And the two natures did not mix. That is important for us. Why? Because only God can appease God. God's standard for you to stand before him is not good. God's standard for you to stand before him is perfection. And only God is perfect. Therefore, the baby in the manger is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He's the one that's going to die for your sin. And he can, he's able to die for your sin because he is God. Now, I know you're sitting there like, well, he never explicitly said he was God. But I would, I would beg to differ because he actually does explicitly say it without explicitly saying it. You remember John chapter 10 where he says, he says, I and the Father are one. The Bible says the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus asked the question, for what are you stoning me for? For good works? And they said, it's not for good works that we're stoning you. But because you, a mere man, a mere man claim to be God. Jesus does not go back and say, no, 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 that's not what I was saying. Jesus lets it ride. Yeah, I'm God. Absolutely, God. Go ahead and try to pick up a stone. And Jesus does something dope. The Bible says that they tried to grab him. He like slithers through the crowd. Like only Jesus can do that. In the midst of a crowd, just like make his way through and they couldn't catch him. Jesus claimed in that text in John chapter 10 to 100% be God. And we know that based on the response of those that heard him say it. They picked up stones to stone him. And so, yes, the baby in the manger is God. What, is, what does Joseph do now? Joseph now hears that Mary is, um, is pregnant and conceived with God in her womb. What does Joseph do? Does Joseph go back and forth to the angel and be like, ah, I hear that, but that, you know, that don't make a lot of sense. That, you know, that doesn't reason well with me. That's never happened before. I need proof. He doesn't do that. Look at what he does in the verse. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Joseph does not go back and forth with the angel. He wakes up from this angelic visitation and automatically obeys. Like automatically, wouldn't it be wonderful if we can get to the place where the word was spoken to us or we read the word and we automatically obeyed? We didn't question. You know what we do? We wait for some mystical moment to happen. We need proof. We need goosebumps. No, you got 66 books to obey. And out of these 66 books, we should have the same response as Joseph. Joseph did not question the angel's word, which was God's word. He absolutely obeyed. It would be great if we could get to the place where we obey. That's why the Bible says, don't be hearers only of the word, but be doers of the word. And wisdom is always marked in the text as obedience. It just is. You're not wise because you know a lot of stuff. You're wise because you do a lot of stuff with what you know. Text tells us this morning that Joseph is absolutely obedient. Let's try to land this plane here. Verse 24. So Joseph woke up from his sleep. And, as, and he, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took his wife. So he took her as a wife. Verse 25 is important. But he knew her not until after she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Jesus. Joseph here does take Mary to be his wife. But we get it twisted in this story. Even today, we call Mary the Virgin Mary. Mary didn't die a virgin. 
Like, am, am I reading this by myself? Like, like Joseph is like Joseph's a wild boy. He's like, I'm gonna let this whole thing play out. And then after she pops this baby out, the Bible says until after the baby was born, which means, yeah, they got it in. Not only that, but Joseph, Jesus isn't our only baby. Like she had Simon, she had James, she had Judah. Mary didn't die a virgin. And why am I saying that? Because tradition tries to tell us that Mary was some holy saint that never, and she was holy because she never had sex. Listen, in the covenant of marriage, she absolutely did. And so this, what, what else this affirms is that God was not just using Mary despite her own joy and fulfillment. He allowed her to move through and be, and be able to enjoy the fruitfulness of marriage. This is very important for us. But here's what I know. There, there are people in this room that you need to be interrupted. You need to be interrupted because your life is too comfortable. Like Joseph in our text was minding his business. Joseph in our text wasn't bothering nobody. He was doing right. He was engaged. He wasn't, he wasn't like messing around. Like he was a godly man. And the, the Bible says he was a just man. And out of nowhere, he gets interrupted. And the interruption he has is an interruption that everybody in this room needs. If you've trusted in Jesus, if you've trusted in him five minutes ago or 30 years ago, there was a moment in your life that you got interrupted. And that interruption should have changed your life. But there are others in this room that have never been interrupted by the King Jesus Christ. And if you do not know Jesus in this room, it behooves you this morning not to go through this Advent series and say, at the fourth, you know, at the fourth Sunday, I'll give my life to the Lord. You need to give your life to the Lord today. You need to be interrupted today. And those of you who do know Jesus, there are some of you that do know Jesus, but you're so on your grind, you need to be interrupted again. There are some of you in here that are so focused on your degree so focused on moving up the corporate ladder, so focused on things that are secondary issues, you, you focused on relationships, you need to be interrupted this morning as our boy Joseph was interrupted. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Simply want to begin our Advent series by praying that God would interrupt us. Father, I want to pray this morning for everybody that's in this room that is just, that's too comfortable including myself. Father, if we're, if we're comfortable, interrupt us. Interrupt our lives so that we can be on mission for you, so we can live our lives faithfully for you. Not perfectly, but faithfully for you. And Jesus, this morning, or this afternoon, as we consider the Christmas story, Father, I pray that we would realize there is no greater Christmas than the first Christmas. There is, no, there is no greater present that we could receive. No iPhone, no Apple Watch, no sneakers. There's nothing, no car, no house. There's nothing that we could receive greater than the gift of salvation. So Father, I pray for the non-believer in here that doesn't know you. Thank you for them being here today. I pray that they feel loved and encouraged but I pray that you would interrupt them with salvation. And the one that does know you, that's comfortable, that's not on mission, that doesn't have you as a priority, interrupt them as well. We need you to do that. It's your grace that you interrupt us. 
Father, we submit this time to you and pray that we would walk out of here and be doers of the word, not hearers only, lest we deceive ourselves. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.